And welcome again to this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast, coming from the E.J. Orso College of Business here at the Louisiana State University campus. Our podcasts are highlighting the great people and work involved in university-level sales education and research. We also want to thank our corporate partners that make all of this work possible, United Rentals, BXS Insurance, the risk and insurance professionals for your team, Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory firm, CMA Technology Solutions, Orso Insurance and Financial Services, and Paycom. Today's guest for this podcast is going to be Dr. Terry Lowe. Dr. Lowe is probably one of the premier pivotal players in this world of university-level sales education. He's definitely made his mark uh, in many ways, and namely and mostly as the one of the founders and the director of the National Collegiate Sales Competition, which is now going to, into its 22nd year. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Terry Lowe from Kennesaw State University. So, Terry, welcome. Uh, thank you for taking part in this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. So, you know, for me, Terry, you know, I've been involved in sales education now for about five years. I look at, you know, people like you and Bob Erfmeyer, Pat Palantino, uh, you know, as sort of the pivotal players, people who've had an integral part in the development of sales education and research. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your path to sales education and research and kind of how you got to where you are today? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And I appreciate you uh, having me on. Um, I guess it's more divine intervention than anything. I, I think I had the idea when I came out of school uh, that uh, I would go out uh, and I got into sales. So I was in sales for about 11 years. And I thought, well, I'll do that and I'll make my million by the time I'm 35. And then I'll semi-retire and go teach somewhere because that would be fun. Well, the, it, it did happen like that a bit, except for the million dollars. Uh, of course, back then, a million dollars was a million dollars. So it actually meant something. Yeah. But my, uh, uh, my wife and I, our, our, we had our children, uh, our, our first daughter in 1991. And she's a practicing physician, a uh, full-time uh, family practice physician. And we had talked about, you know, when we had kids, what we're going to do. And it really, she quit full-time practice and I quit full-time work, uh, went back to school to do the PhD uh, at Memphis where we were at the time. Uh, she quit full-time private practice and went to work at the health department in Memphis. Uh, so we basically cut our income by 75% uh, because there's so much money in education <laughs> uh, that we're going to invest in that. But, uh, no, it, it worked out great because I, you know, I was able to, you know, see my kids grow up, uh, and so did my wife. She ended up going back to work, but uh, part time most of the time, and until our kids got out of school. So that's how I, I got into it uh, when I uh, um, went to 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 the PhD program in in Memphis. Uh, my focus was on ethics. Uh, and because I had uh, uh, interest in sales as well, because I've been in sales so long, I, I knew what my topic was going to be is, is ethics and sales. 
And of course, a lot of people laughed at that. Uh, but I ended up doing my dissertation in ethics is in, in the marketing area, but I knew several people uh, in academe by that time after I got finished with the program. Uh, so that uh, uh, a lot of the people who were doing ethics and sales were at Baylor University. And so I took my first position at Baylor uh, and I was there for about seven, eight years from 1996 to 2003. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it got started. And then I moved over to Kennesaw state uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, uh, one is near Atlanta, a lot more opportunity for some of the projects I was involved with. Uh, plus my family was in the area. So I'm not sure if that, that's probably a lot. So, so talk about the correlation. You know, that, that's kind of interesting to me. I'm, I'm just curious, that correlation between uh, the, the, the research and ethics and how that translates into sales for you. Okay. So I was in the financial services industry, um, and the first sales job I had, I was in, in the bond market. Uh, so I was selling tax-free bonds uh, with a small company in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, about two years in, everything was going great. I was doubling my income every year. Uh, and then I found out that the, the owners of the company uh, had been doing some things that they shouldn't have been doing with the bond money. Uh, so I ended up leaving that organization, went over to uh, Dean Witter. Uh, but they, <coughs> they ended up in jail, and I, I actually had to testify before the SEC uh, for, for, that, uh, for what went on there. Uh, so from there, I went to a uh, uh, smaller uh, company or office, uh, Kidder Peabody. Uh, and, you know, you get into sales and you try to, uh, you know, I, the way I was raised is like you, you do the right thing, you work hard and things work out. Uh, and I found out in the long run that's really true. But you see some of the people in sales who are uh, taking shortcuts uh, making, uh, maybe hit, getting some big deals, uh, but taking some shortcuts to get there. Sure. Uh, not all of them, uh, but you see it sometime. You wonder, you know, at the time I was thinking, you know, that if I'm a customer, I want to work with somebody I can trust. And how do you actually be a successful salesperson and, you know, cut corners or, or, uh, bend the rules and, and do those things. And I, I kept thinking that, that's just not going to last long term. Uh, so when I first, you know, the funny thing is when I did my PhD, uh, the first meeting I had uh, to determine whether I was going to go into the PhD program or not, because uh, I, I never thought I was smart enough to get a PhD. Of course, I found out you didn't have to be that smart to get a PhD. <laughs> so I sat down with the head of the uh, graduate program at Memphis and just so happened he was one of the prominent researchers in ethics. I didn't know that. Uh, and I said, I've got my dissertation topic. I want to do something in, in ethics on, you know, in the sales area and how, how that works together. Uh, so he ended up being my dissertation chair. And uh, there's a couple of guys at Memphis that were, pretty big names in the, uh, in the sales area. Tom, Tom Ingram was there. He was on my dissertation committee and I did a lot of work with Larry Chanko, uh, who happened to be at Baylor at the time, which is why I ended up at Baylor. Okay. So that was, that was the reason uh, for the trajectory of my research and, and uh, how I got interested in it anyway. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. So 
let's talk about Kennesaw State and uh, where you are today. So tell us a little bit about the Kennesaw State Sales Center and kind of how that started. Well, I think Kennesaw State was, uh, was ahead of its time. Uh, they recruited me in 1996 when I got out of the PhD program, wanted me to come start a center, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to start a center at the beginning because uh, I had to get tenure. Uh, but they had actually had a degree in professional selling in 1989. Uh, I think that might have been the first. St. Kate's might have had a degree at the time, but it's, it's close to having one of the first degrees, getting, actually getting a degree in professional selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had a reputation for that, and they had somebody who, had, who ended up starting the center there. Uh, and Kennesaw State was, you know, a growing university. And uh, when I started looking at, making a move. Of course, I talked to them again because they had grown uh, and they were part of another alliance that we started in 2003 called the University Sales Center Alliance, uh, which uh, you guys are a part of and uh, something that we uh, started to actually help schools develop programs and curriculum and sales centers uh, there. So it Started as uh, actually Kennesaw State started as a college and then it became a university and started growing the sales area. Uh, when I came here in 03, uh, they had a good sales center, so I did not start the sales center here. Uh, my thought was that I was going to, uh, you know, we had started the National Collegiate Sales Competition at Baylor and I brought it with me, so I thought um, I'll run the center or run the, uh, run the competition and do my thing. And, uh, and then the director of the of the center would do his, he ended up leaving. Uh, and so I ended up taking over the, the center and it's grown uh, a great deal, uh, mostly because of the people that, that, uh, you know, that work with me. Uh, and, the, and the university has been tremendous as far as supporting uh, what we're doing. Uh, Kennesaw State's very entrepreneurial. Uh, and I think they wanted to mark out some territory in the sales area uh, because Kennesaw State being in Georgia, we had to compete with Georgia State, University of Georgia, uh, some big schools, you know, like LSU, big school, big, nice, prominent school with a, with a legacy. And Kennesaw State did not have that. Uh, so the dean was wanting to get that competition over here and, and really mark out some territory for sales. And uh, they've really supported it. Uh, all the deans I've worked with and the department and the chairs, uh, which is key to making a sales center uh, work and actually get it started. So Kennesaw State has been a big part of that. They have uh, supported everything. Uh, it takes a lot of work uh, to get the center going and growing. Well, that's, that's kind of leads into my next question. So, and when you look at all the challenges that are involved in starting a sales center at a college of business or at a university, if it's not going to be part of the college of business, which you and I know it should be uh, having the Dean, on board, I'm assuming it's the number one requirement. It's key, and that, but that's also like the chicken and the egg. So when I talk to universities about starting a center, uh, and we, a few of us got together and wrote a paper uh, on how to start a center and maintain it. And one of the things in that paper we talked about was the first thing you do have to get do have to get is the support of the administration, uh, because regardless, they they do not universities normally do not provide a lot of funding in that area. You have to go outside. So the, the chicken and the egg analogy is if I can get industry involved 
get them interested in, and it's a no brainer for industry as you, as you're well aware, uh, having been in industry and, um, uh, you know, working there with companies, you know, companies get it. Uh, they know that you know, there's a huge shortage in the number of qualified sales candidates coming out of universities. Uh, they've had to, you know, find business graduates or even communications or psychology graduates. Uh, that's challenging. Um, I mean, the, it's like an accounting firm having to go to a university to hire accountants, but there's no accounting degree. So they're getting math majors, mm-hmm. or business majors, uh, and to get them geared up and talk them into accounting. Uh, I'm not sure that that would be harder uh, than sales, but that's what companies have had to do. They've had to uh, identify people they think might be good at sales and then talk them into going into sales. Uh, whether it's, you know, you have a lot of freedom in sales or you can make a lot of money uh, and you make a, a big difference in the lives of the companies and the individuals that you work with. Uh, but So you got to get the industry involved with it and they get it. So when the industry contacts or talks to the deans or the administration, uh, you know, that they get on board very quickly. So if the university does not have an administration on board, uh, you know, I make a business case for it, but then if you get industry, contact them, uh, they're usually, they rapidly get on board with that. Yeah. It, it seems to me, you know, and, and I, I, I'm fairly new to sales research and sales education that for a time there was a, there was a, a, an environment where the, the principles of selling and the discipline and the research weren't really highly thought of when you look at the academic community around business schools. No. Uh, and that's, a, and that's, that's not something that's, that's totally gone away. Uh, you know, we're, we're interviewing right now and there's a couple of prominent uh, research one tier one schools that still uh, have a um, stereotypical view of what sales is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so it, it's not, it hasn't gone away, but in the beginning, you know, now we have a lot of success and a lot of history and a lot of success stories of universities starting sales centers and bringing a lot of attention to the school because there are, you know, we'll have 120 to 150 companies on campus here at Kennesaw state and every other school that has a sales center uh, that otherwise would not be on campus. So if I get an IBM or Xerox or an ADP or FedEx uh, on campus uh, and their reason they're there is simply because of the sales center. Uh, So it's a huge um, promotional advantage for the university uh, to, to be able to do that. But it it takes some time uh, not to go into all the philosophy of uh, universities and higher education, but you know, historically, it, it was uh, arts and sciences schools, uh, and all the rich people were they're the only ones that got to go to colleges or universities. Uh, of course, that changed over the years, uh, but the, the academe and the attitude of academe toward uh, schools actually teaching some kind of trade in industry, uh, a lot of them still uh, have a problem with that. Uh, of course, yeah. I sent my, my kids to school. So they can get a job, uh, which most parents do now. They want them to get a job. Uh, and so I think most is still the case in some instances, but historically 
the administration looks on the business school or a lot of the business schools as, as Votech centers, and they don't really belong on a, on higher edu- on, a, on a campus for higher education. Yep. Um, so Terry, back in the back in the early days when 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 you were first coming into your position at Kennesaw back then, and and you had to go out and have conversations with businesses, what was the response from them? when you first had started kind of bringing them up to speed on your plans and what the sales center was going to do? <laughs> Those were easy conversations. Uh, it didn't take much because mo- most of the companies that I'm sure that you talk to, uh, that I talk to always, it's why are universities not teaching sales? Because it seems to make a lot of sense that they would. Uh, so those are very easy conversations. Uh, when I first started and I revamped the center, uh, I actually uh, drew out and uh, developed a business model for the for the purpose of the center, the reason for the center, uh, what's going on around the country and in, in, in the sales industry. Uh, and they didn't need that. I, I mostly did that for myself as well as the administration. Uh, so I could say, you know, we expanded our sales center from about 600 square feet to 3,500 square feet uh, back in 2007, 2006. Uh, but I had to make the case for it. Uh, and of course I had my industry partners at the time talk to our dean, send letters to the dean. Uh, even though they were on board, uh, it's good to have that kind of support to say, boy, this, this is something that really needs to be, uh, promoted and developed on college campuses. Yep. So how's that changed from, if you go back to the beginning and you fast forward to today, uh, how's that attitude and, the, and that thought process changed for businesses? Uh, they're well, it's, it's a win-win for them. Uh, right now it's a challenge for them. They still get it. I mean, they, they, when they look at the opportunity to get on a college campus to hire somebody who one understands there's a sales process two knows that sales is going to be hard and three wants to go into sales uh, you know, as, as you're aware, the research that's out there shows that the graduates coming out of these programs have a about a 30% lower turnover rate and about a 50% faster ramp-up time. And to them, uh, you know, they're spending $50,000, $75,000 the first year in a new hire. Uh, and, you know, they start losing those hires because they can't find qualified candidates, but they're having to hire somebody. Uh, you know, we're, we're basically, if we're asking for a $10,000 or $30,000 investment, they get it. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a change in a mindset to understand that, okay, we're going to actually get to talk to qualified candidates. And if I just get to keep one more, uh, new hire that otherwise would leave, then I'm up 50,000 bucks. Uh, so, you know, building the, the value statement for a, univer- or a, a company partnering with a university uh, is not a, again, it's, it's like common sense, basically. Yeah, uh, I fully agree. So I'd like to change course again. So it's, I guess it's, it's very easy to make the case that you, you are the director and the creator of one of the premier sales national sales competitions in the country. Uh, in fact, it's called the National Collegiate Sales Competition. Could you talk a little bit about that event and how it's evolved over the last, I think it's been 21 years now? Yeah, uh, this next year will be 22. Uh, the, the genesis of that competition came at Baylor. 
uh, Baylor actually had done a competition, uh, Bill Weeks and uh, Jeff Tanner and Larry Chaco and some of those guys had been doing collaboration with a university out of Mexico and a university out of uh, Canada. And so they had an international competition actually before I arrived at, uh, uh, at Baylor. Uh, and they, <laughs> they made it very complicated. They, they were going to rotate uh, where the competition was going to be held, uh, but they, and they did three rounds. One round was in Spanish, one round was in French, and one round was in English. So you had to have interpreters. Uh, plus the universities had to actually uh, travel to, you know, one of the univers- one of the uh, other schools. And so it, it became uh, prohibitive from a cost standpoint for a university to bring two or three or four students along with the faculty uh, from Canada to, to Texas or from Texas to Mexico or, or whatever. Uh, so it stopped. Uh, when I was there, the, the board, uh, advisory board at Baylor at the time, and they had one of the first sales centers in the country, uh, so, you know, that was a really fun competition. Now, I played baseball in college uh, at Mississippi State, uh, and we went to the World Series in 1979 and again in 1981. And I played in, in a number of scouting camps. I played up at Cape Cod in the uh, it's a professional scouting league up there, and I played in Illinois and some other places. So the idea of competition was great. So I thought, well, this could be done. It'd be great to have a national competition so that all the schools in the country came to one place, you know, each spring, just like the World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, that's really what went through my head. I said, this would be cool. Uh, So at the time, there were probably 20 or 25 schools in the country that taught sales or had some kind of curriculum in sales, not sales management, but standalone courses. Uh, we all know each other, knew each other because we do research together. I said, and so I emailed them. We met at a conference. I said, I've got this idea about doing a competition. Uh, how many of you would be interested in doing it? And all of them said they would. Uh, ended up 13 schools came the first year. I sent out an email. So we're going to have it on this date. Uh, I got eight companies involved with it, most from mostly from my board of uh, advisors at Baylor. And so raised about $65,000 that year uh, to pay for the travel, which I think is the key for our competition to, to have been so uh, so successful over the years, or at least uh, you know, the longevity of it, uh, because schools cannot pay for their travel. Uh, so we paid for the 13 schools to come that first year. We paid for the airfare and lodging and food, uh, and it was great. The companies loved it. Uh, the faculty loved it. All the faculty came, so really the idea behind that was to get the faculty together so we could see what each other was doing in our classroom. So I do a lot of role plays. Uh, All the schools are doing a lot of role plays, but I didn't know uh, what Scott Inks was doing at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, I didn't know what was what John Halls was doing at, at, uh, at Akron. So they all came. And so we could watch their students actually go through this sales call to see the methodologies that they were using. So it helped bring us together. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the idea to say, okay, we're going to have a, if we're going to make an impact on the sales discipline. We need to have some kind of standard uh, or principles of like marketing has principles of marketing, accounting, finance, but we really did not have a principles of sales. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go into this part. Uh, if you look at all the, 
uh, all the professions out there from law to medicine, engineering, accounting, architecture, they all started as vocations. Uh, and only when they got, you know, as apprentices. So only when they got into higher education, when they started having curriculum and research in universities in these specific disciplines, uh, and they got it on campus and they started having degree programs on campus, did the general population begin to look at it differently? You know, it was more prestigious. It was more credible and more attractive to pursue. So, and I've studied up the professions and how they progress. And one of the first things you have to do is get it on a college campus or in some kind of professional school. So that you could standardize the approach, uh, but also gain credibility by it being on a college campus. So as we were discussing all of that, if, if, if we can just get more schools to bring curriculum onto the campuses, we're going to be able to attract higher quality candidates to the field. Uh, so, so, and, and so that was kind of the, the hidden, not hidden, <laughs> underlying agenda behind the whole thing, uh, as well as starting that University Sales Center Alliance in 03. So, and it's grown every year and, and we've helped other schools develop competitions around the country. Uh, you know, we all work together really, really well. And, and it's just a great group of people to, uh, to work with in a, in your life profession, I guess. Well, well, I can, I can testify to the fact that I think five years now that I've, I've attended, uh, your event, you know, one thing that, that, that never loses its, its impact is that every student, whether they're competitors or alternates, every student that we bring to your event leaves there with a job offer. Yep. Yep. So it's a win-win. I actually did a, uh, did an interview on Fox news. They actually covered the event live a number of years ago. Uh, and I, I made the statement that it's a win, 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 because the industries win, they get great hires, the students win, they get jobs and the, uh, the universities win because they bring recognition to the school and all these companies begin looking at, uh, you know, a Salisbury or, uh, North Carolina A&M or Neelon or uh, Citadel, they realize that there, there's curriculum on these campuses and, and see the kinds of uh, quality candidates and the talent that comes out of these schools. Mm -hmm. So schools get recognition, the kids get jobs, uh, and the uh, uh, and the companies get great uh, great candidates. And I I had a uh, I just watched that interview. Um, Want to make sure my wife saw that I was on TV. Uh, so watch the interview, and, and there were some comments of all these universities that think everybody wins. Everybody just has to show up and participate. <laughs> so, well, that's not what I said. <laughs> I meant it was everybody won uh, because they got a job. Not everybody won the competition. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of that, so you know, I'm kind of interested in, in a little inside uh, – baseball on your students. So talk about the impact that uh, your sales centers had on the lives and careers of your students. And, and also talk about what the student experience is like once they come into your program. Well, it's, it's very humbling. Um, I think any teacher out there who, uh, who tries to do a good job and connects with the students and helps them grow as an individual uh, they always have uh, those students come back to them years later or, or whenever and just tell them, you know, how much they appreciate it. Uh, so this is a uh, certainly a team effort 
uh, and what we do here. And I know it is around the country because uh, all the schools out there, the individual uh, faculty and, and instructors and professors who teach sales, uh, you know, we don't do something complicated. We're teaching fairly common sense uh, uh, approaches uh, that make sense, but you get communication skills, you get networking skills, uh, you get you gain confidence, especially when you do those role plays because it's scary. I think doing a role play may be harder than that, actually going out and making a real sales call. Uh, but if you do dozens of those role plays as, as an individual student when you're 20, 21, 22, 23, 20, even 25 or 26, uh, you gain more confidence in what you can accomplish. Plus, when you have all these companies coming after you and just, they, you know, these companies don't show up for me or you or any other faculty. They show up for the students. Uh, so they get, they're getting jobs, they're getting two or three job offers before they graduate. So that just builds a lot of confidence uh, in them. And, and it's nice, uh, again, we're not teaching rocket science and, and we didn't make any of this up. Uh, we bring our research in, but you know the basic principles of sales are, uh, are not real complicated. They're hard, but they're not complicated. So when you teach somebody those skills, uh, they begin to regard themselves a little bit differently and you can see it. Uh, you can see it in your students. Uh, you can see it. I can see it. Uh, they just change. Not everybody, uh, but there's a good number of them that change their approach to their their career uh, because they've gained that kind of confidence and realize that yeah, I can do this and I can be successful. Uh, so it's you know I <laughs> the, one of the very first students I had uh, in at Baylor back in '96, '97. She actually won the first national collegiate sales competition in, two, in 1999. Uh, I always ask at the beginning of my classes, at, back then at Baylor, it was a communications elective. And I said, how many of you are definitely going into sales? And I'd get a handful, raise their hand. And I'd say, how many of you are definitely not going into sales? <laughs> I'd get another handful. And this girl, this young lady, now grown woman, uh, she raised her hand and said, I no way I'm going into sales. She's now VP of sales for a large pharmaceutical company. And I, I stay up, I keep up with her a little bit. She contacts me every now and then. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very rewarding. Uh, they get a lot out of it. Uh, we get a lot out of it and really not doing a lot other than investing some time and, and time in our lives into, uh, into their lives. Well, I think you're changing lives too. Well, it's, uh, you see it, you see the lights go on. And, and that's what you look for, I think. Uh, you you get in the middle of class, and then we start bringing industry people in, and they're talking about what they're looking for and what it's like and how can you be successful in that. And all of a sudden, the light comes on, and they start – they change. I mean, they go from, okay, I'm just a student, uh, to now I'm a young adult, and I'm actually pursuing a worthwhile career, uh, and they're they're young professional. And so that that's the – that's the change uh, that you see. And, and we provide opportunities for them, but they have to do it on their own. Uh, you know, we can open up the door and, and uh, lead them to water. Was that the old adage? I heard Zig Ziglar say this one time. He said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. He said, you know, if you give them enough salt, they're going to want to drink. <laughs> That's true. So I think we're trying to salt uh, the students. Yeah. You know, they're right there. They've got to do it on their own. Uh, but they've got to, uh, you know, we're part of that, and that's very rewarding. 
So, so what advice would you have for a student who's listening to this podcast and considering a professional sales career? So uh, whether you're going to go into sales or not, sales classes are great. Uh, as you're aware, it teaches so much uh, business acumen, uh, communication skills, leadership skills. Uh, so doing the classes and if you go through role plays, those are great. They're going to help you with confidence. But I think what sets a student apart uh, who is then a young adult and, a, and then becoming a professional uh, is, is being able to network. Uh, and get out and, and uh, stick your neck out just a little bit out of your comfort zone. Uh, we, do, we do a number of networking events. Most of the schools that have any kind of sales curriculum, sales centers, uh, they do events with, uh, with their corporate partners and in industry. Um, and I tell the student, you need to go to every single event where you can meet somebody in business. Uh, and then we actually require uh, in our uh, in our introductory class, uh, as well as our advanced classes, that they go out to networking events outside the university. Uh, and that's part of the assignment. They actually have to identify a networking event uh, besides what we do with our partners here. Mm-hmm. And they'll have to go. And, and a number of them don't like it. I think a lot of them see the benefit of it. But when they get back, it's like, wow, I wish I'd been doing this a long time ago. And I tell them as a freshman or sophomore, you need to start networking. Uh, you need to get involved in as many of these opportunities as you can, because yeah, you're in college. You need to have fun. Uh, you need to enjoy it. Uh, but you need to realize why you're in college. Uh, you're not there just to be a student. You're there to grow, uh, develop professionally. Uh, and one of the reasons we have a almost a hundred percent placement rate. And I'm sure the LSU does. And almost every school that has a sales program uh, has a very, very high placement rate. A big part of that is because the students are forced <laughs> to actually do something that's good for them. And that's networking, mm-hmm. uh, just getting out and building those networks and making, developing relationships. So that's if true. I were to do anything, do the classes, but get involved with every other aspect of a center. You're in a center, a school with a center, uh, if not, then begin going to networking events uh, and then use the skills that you learn because you, you find out. I have students come back uh, when they shadow us, one of our sales, uh, our partners, salespeople. They come back and say, you know, they're doing exactly what we're doing in class. I say, I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> I mean, it's real. That's, I've, I've heard that several times. Yep. So we're not, we're not just, you know, this isn't just academic uh, theory. Uh, this is what actually works out there. Yeah, great uh, advice. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about sales research. So, you know, sales research has been around for a while. You've you've p- probably been involved in it to an extent and through your career. Uh, how has that changed since? If you go back to say twenty years ago and the level of research and the data that's available, you talk about how that that's evolved to where it is today. Well, I think a lot of outside companies do a lot of research because they've been forced to. Uh, what What's changed in sales is the understanding of the of the numbers and the analytics, and that there's actually science behind it. Uh, you know, you you we, we were talking about a couple of people over at uh, University of Houston, uh, and I know a couple of guys over there uh, was over there. Eli Jones is a, a, a mentor and friend of mine. Uh, Mike Ahern uh, does a lot of research over there. That's really impactful in the sales area but 
we've realized that, that sales and a lot of people don't get this, you know, sales is, is science. Uh, because when you're making a, anybody's making a purchasing decision, they go through a predictable, repeatable process and they go through whatever it's five or six or seven steps. And that if I understand that as a salesperson, then my job as a salesperson to help that individual is to help them get through that process. Uh, we came to understand that because of research. Uh, we came to understand, okay, there's certain questions you can ask. Uh, there's, uh, you know, obviously we want to ask open-ended questions and other types of questions that's going to pull them through that, that decision process. So I think that, uh, you know, more science and more understanding that there is a science behind uh, human behavior. Uh, you know, used to you thought, okay, we go out and we just talk to a bunch of people, but the conversations that you have have to be purposeful, uh, realizing that I'm trying to help them move through this process because even if a salesperson has the right heart and the right intent and they're not trying to cheat somebody or sell something to them that they don't need, they can make that person feel uncomfortable by not asking the right questions and having them almost forcing them to skip over some of the steps in the decision process that, that they need to make. So in our classes and in the, in the textbooks out that are out there and the science and research we show, if you ask those questions, help them get through each step of that process, uh, they're going to come to a point where they're ready to make a decision. Now they may or may not make the decision you want uh, because this is a soft science. Uh, I had a student at Baylor one time and, and you probably experienced this uh, usually about two weeks before the end of the semester, I become very popular uh, as all teachers do uh, with students coming and telling them what a wonderful class it was and how much you learned, but <laughs> I've got to get a C or I've got to get a B. Uh, and so they, and they pump you up and uh, tell you what a, just a, a godlike teacher that you are uh, knowing that that's not right. Uh, but I had a student come to my door. He knocked on the door, and this is in 1998. I remember it. Uh, he said, Dr. Lowe, I want to talk to you about class. So I said, okay, come on in. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to you know, get my ego stroked here. And he looked at me, and he said, I hated your class. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a, that's a different approach. He said, I'm a finance major. He said, in finance, we put in these numbers in these formulas and you always get the exact answer and it's the right answer every single time. And he said, that's not the case in your class. I said, well, that's the difference between a hard science and a soft science. They're both equally credible as sciences, but we deal with propensities uh, and intent uh, and chance and odds. Uh, so we want to increase our chances of being successful uh, at moving someone to a, uh, an appropriate decision. Uh, so it's the, the science is there, but it doesn't work every single time because there's too many variables going on that impact that purchasing decision. Anytime you deal with human behavior, uh, there's just too much going on in their head. So yeah. I think the science has helped us improve uh, our chances of being successful and our conversion ratios, et cetera. But understanding the numbers, and I think the, the academic community as well, and before that, the uh, industry, they understand that we have to keep up with the numbers. We have to understand the numbers. Uh, and so a lot of the research has gone in that direction 
to understand the, uh, how the numbers work in sales. So where, where do you think the future takes us in this? When you look at university level sales education and sales research, uh, get your crystal ball out. Where do you see yeah. our industry five, 10 years? Well, there have been some naysayers and actually some very credible people. Uh, Huthwaite Institute, Neil Rackham, he one time, at one time said sales is dead, or at least as we know it, um, said that there, you know, it's going to change, and it actually has. Uh, so there's been more that's gone online. Uh, the sales profession, the sales job, uh, used to, it was in the back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even, uh, probably even the early 90s. Uh, our job partly was to be uh, an information provider. Uh, that's not the case anymore because the customers know as much as you do about their product, uh, your product, uh, and, and the different types of products out there because they have so much information at hand. So we have to understand how they're using that information, which there's research going on uh, about that now. Uh, and, and it's become more complex. Uh, especially if you're selling larger, um, larger, more complex products or services. Uh, you know, you, you have, instead of dealing with one person, uh, which is fairly straightforward, but it's still a social soft science. We don't know what they're going to do. Now you throw in two or three or four or five or 10 people, they're going to impact that decision. Uh, so as a salesperson, I've got to understand everybody in that process and the technology we have right now allows us to understand our customers better, uh, allows us to approach them in a more uh, informed manner uh, to help them, you know, get through that complex decision that they're going to make. Uh, especially as you know, as they're dealing with hundred thousand or a million dollar or several million dollar decisions that are in there. Uh, so I think we're the, the research has to be there. Uh, and understand those complex processes. Uh, so that's, uh, anyway, that, I think that's where it's going and understanding uh, when it's appropriate. A lot of companies now have gone to more inside sales uh, because they can and because there's so much information at hand. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to uh, understand there's, there's a big cost savings when you do that. But that, that human interaction is never going to change. Uh, if you're selling something that's not a commodity, the human interaction is not going to change. And I think that may be sort of a causation on these increasing numbers of students who are deciding on a career in professional sales. Yep. Uh, the companies do have a little bit better pool of candidates to draw from. However, uh, when we started that University Sales Center Alliance back in uh, 2003, there were nine universities with sales centers. Now there's about 51. Uh, we've grown a bit, 52 maybe. Uh, there were about 20 schools with standalone sales curriculum in them uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, now there's about 145, 150 schools, both in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, Canada. Uh, but there's over 6,000 colleges and universities in the country. So we've made a little bit of a dent, mm -hmm. but not a huge one. The companies you and I talk to, they get it. They've been around it. They, they know the, um, uh, the community, uh, and they take advantage of it. Uh, but I still talk to uh, two, three companies a week. Uh, they contact us mostly 
uh, and they had just heard that, wow, your school has a degree in professional selling or you have sales curriculum. Uh, they get very excited about it uh, because they know that that's going to save them money uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but also from a turnover standpoint and a, uh, being able to ramp somebody up much more quickly. Yep. And, and that's real money on a, a balance sheet also. Yep. So Terry, well, look, I appreciate you, uh, your inputs. This is some really great insights. And I'm sure anyone listening to this is, uh, is going to benefit from it. I, uh, thank you again for participating in this podcast episode. And no, uh, I, I appreciate you inviting me. I've, so I said, you might, you want to talk about sales for a little bit and say, yeah, I'm not a preacher. You want, you want me to preach? I'll go preach. Yeah. So and, uh, you and I will be crossing paths here probably shortly. I'm sure we're going to be at a few conferences or sales competitions. So I uh, appreciate it. was great having you on today and uh, looking forward to touch the base again. Thanks, Greg. I enjoyed it. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. If you would like to find out more about how you or your company could become more involved in the LSU Professional Sales Institute, or maybe even to recruit some of our great sales students and graduates, you can find us at business.lsu.edu forward slash PSI. Thank you.